This episode is brought to you by legendary choke tube maker Rob Roberts. Rob Roberts Customs, the performance shop for all things waterfowl, turkey, and upland. Keep an eye out for the 2024 CWA Gun of the Year, a Rob Roberts Franke Affinity 3 20 gauge. So the the gator hunting, is there overlap with duck season or is that after duck season's over when the water gets a little warmer? It's after. And <clears throat> what a lot of people don't get into is like I, I'm able to go in the springtime when, when it's uh, around turkey season, if you would. And so that part helps. But uh, in the fall, they basically will stop doing any kind of gator hunts um, uh, right before you know, and their thing's ducked, and, and it is really amazing what they are doing because thousands and thousands of ducks, they're basically, uh, they're running their own duck factory, if you would. They're, uh, <clears throat> they're bringing in a lot of tame, putting them in high fence, letting them build, trying to build up the duck population and everything yeah. for that area. Now, we're in Arkansas, which is kind of like you guys in California. We don't have to do that. You know, we've got plenty of... Well, I'll take it back. Arkansas pretty much stinks anymore, but <laughs> normally we always had a lot of ducks, you know. <laughs> and uh, our season's about two weeks too short. As of right now, we have a lot of water here in Arkansas, and we are full of ducks. Okay. But it's kind of like catching them on the return migration, if you would, because um, I think with uh, the agri practice and everything that's going on, I think the ducks go around us on the front end and catch us on the way back because now we're still sitting here like uh, I've got some lease properties out there that uh, are absolutely full of rice and full of beans that uh, and it's and it's in water that's not touched. There should be uh, thousands oh. of ducks. And uh, now there is, actually. I mean, yeah, they're there now that you can't shoot at them. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're, they're, so it does help. You know, it, it's helped growing back. But... Uh, you know, and I recently got to come to California finally um, to come on a hunt with Rock Merlot and those guys there. Uh, Rock's a great guy, super good guy. We've been friends for a long time, and he's been trying to get me out there. I finally come out there, and, and it was like, um, you know, what was really cool is I got to come back and tell everybody in Arkansas, you know, uh, let me tell you a place I've been. They said, uh, where I met some of the finest people I've ever been around. They said, uh, really? where? And I said, California and they're all like no no way no way you know <laughs> you really hammered you guys in California it's like absolutely some of the finest folks I ever met and uh, uh, had a great time out there with them uh, the ducks weren't there at that time we we did get into I think one day we killed five different species of uh, of geese yeah. um, so it had a lot of fun it was great uh, uh, I hope to keep coming back to California because it's it, it's awesome out there yeah, it's a special place. We think so. Um, super unique. But uh, today's our guest is uh, Rob Roberts of Rob Roberts Custom Gunworks out of Arkansas. Um, thanks for joining us, Rob. So tell tell us a little bit about your duck season this last year. We it was a weird season out here, so we kind of we, the- we struggled. We struggled hard. Yeah. <laughs> I t- I tell you what I do. I am fortunate enough to get to hunt different areas. Yeah. So uh, you know. Canada is always a great place to start. That way, if you go up in Canada and you, you whack them real hard uh, and get to see a lot of ducks, so the rest of your season that sucks <laughs> you go up. Sucks. I, I had a good time in Canada. Yeah, yeah I'd agree. Yeah. I'd agree on that. That's something everyone's got to 
believe it or not, one of our neighboring states here in Arkansas, you know, everybody wants to come to Arkansas because Arkansas is Arkansas. Arkansas. Now, now, Oklahoma is absolutely on fire with ducks. Um, I'll hunt there two or three times a year. We've had, uh, I've got a lot of good buddies over there, uh, Falco Outfitters, uh, Flatline Outfitters. Those guys over there have, have really they they do their work and and the duck hunting is is awesome now and like i said earlier i did come to california you guys at the time were just absolutely full of geese mm -hmm. you know but uh those are your big states and i've told people after that i said you know, the, the places that you would not you know I, and you would not believe all of my buddies all you know people that i've grown up with and everything here in arkansas go you're actually hunting dry ground, you know, here in Arkansas, everybody's <laughs> used to, uh, you're either in mud or water about, you know, chest deep and, uh, trying to kill things and, uh, come out there on dry ground where you can wear your work boots and get down in a layout and kill all the ducks you want. It, it, it's amazing, but, uh, a lot of fun, but the season for, for the most part has been great just because I do get to travel. I do get to see a lot of different folks. That's good. Do you guys have a split in Arkansas? Oh, yes. We do have two splits in two Arkansas. Two splits. Mm. Yeah. And what's bad is they ought to uh, not even have the first season prior to it. Um, they ought to just take that one and put it at the tail end, and, and Arkansas would become a mecca, you know. But it's uh, the first season is like uh, you get some of your, you know, they'll go out and shoot a few ducks right off. Early season, teal season is really great here because we do have lots of rivers and stuff like that. You can get on the rivers uh, at that time. Blue wing teal is are, are everywhere, and and they do have that early Canada season here. So uh, that's a lot of fun. But duck season hits. It's you know uh, you kill you're you're hunting the local ducks right off. After that, usually by the second season, it gets you know by the second split there, it gets pretty good. And then it, and like I said, for the last few years, it just kind of dies out. And then uh, about the time the season comes over, uh, like I said, for right now, there we've got ducks. We've got them absolutely everywhere. But as far as a hunting perspective of it, uh, well, it's not doing any good. Yeah, what's yeah. what's your general season end date? Uh, blah, blah, end date, I, that's something like this. Two weeks ago, I can't remember when yeah. though. Okay, mid January. Mid January. Usually January thirty first is when you kind of figure out everything's over. Yeah. yeah. So, so Rob, your your guns are kind of you know renowned in the waterfowl space for sure. But um, tell us a little bit how you kind of got going with the business, kind of where you started, and and kind of what you guys are doing okay. now. We uh, what I've done in guns, we our actual start. And actually, where I come up was uh, years and years and years ago, and I'm like 137 years old now. <laughs> and but back then, I had a couple of buddies, and both of those got really big into the gun world and and stuff like that. I wasn't; I was with a family business, but there was three of us there that shot a lot. So we got to where it basically started off. We were shooting. Oh, we always hunted. You know, you're. I mean, yeah. in Arkansas. Usually back in those days, you had to hunt to eat. But uh, the, that, the kicker to it is, is we'd end up with a trap thrower on the back of a truck hub, you know, and we're, we're betting dollar bills on who can break this and that, you know. Uh, it seems like all good stories start where there's uh, drinking and gambling. 
But uh, the, uh, the the kicker to it is, is we w- that's how we started. We started playing with that. And then one buddy's like, well, my dad was a skeet champ, and we have these. We went and worked on the skeet field. We started playing with that, at, you know, and then sporting clays come around, and we were all competitive. And so we all got into all these different shooting sports with a shotgun, and it kind of makes full circle. You go from hunting to competition. Now you're back to hunting again. And what uh, the main thing I try to do is I try to bring some of what I learned. I was and I was fortunate enough to be around people that like this guy won the national sporting class champion three times, or this guy was a 17 times world champion uh, skeet shooter. A uh, lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Of, you start learning tricks that they were doing to guns and what. Hey, I need my gun. I need this, this. You know, uh, I, I, I remember a guy today which you cannot do anymore because of the the plastic stocks and everything they're putting on them. But this guy's like, uh, hey, look, I need this at a 14, 7 8, 14 and 7 8 length of pull with a 3 8 back pitch. Well, people today don't even know what that is unless they're a gun fitter and they're dealing with a, you know, Prozzi, Craig Off Co or something to that mm-hmm. effect. And, uh, but what I learned was the way the guns fit, you shot better, you know, and at the end of the day, um, the gun should shoot where you're looking, not where you're aiming. And so, um, so I started getting into like doing the forcing cone work, trigger work, all these different things that make the gun shoot smoother, just as you would on a rifle. I was trying to take the shotgun world into it. And, um, now if you're getting the patterns and you're doing this and you're doing that, and we've got several, believe it or not, high tech machines which, you know, and I actually can run these, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> but we're able to go out and shoot these guns into machines and go, okay, look, uh, you're shooting a Benelli M2 12-gauge with a 28-inch barrel, and uh, at, at the end of the day, we went out here and shot it, and uh, the uh, Raptor 2 choke shooting uh, Black Cloud ounce and a quarter number twos is what this gun loves. So when you go duck hunting, this is what you want in this gun. Uh, this guy's gun over here may be a different scenario where we got, hey, we shot your gun. It, it actually like the T3 series we got shooting some uh, heavy 18 or heavy 12, I think it is, on, on the duck loads compared to target. But, okay, we're shooting this heavy 12. This is what your gun really loves. And so that's that's part of the business we try to grow. And actually, we're trying to do a better job of it again we're, you know, we've started out again this year where we're pattern testing folks' guns. We're trying to make sure the point impacts where it's supposed to be. We do the other work. We, we try to patterns, patterns, kills. You know, people always said speed kills ducks. But in reality, all the speed in the world is great if you can't hit nothing with it. Yeah. Um, we try to get it to where you got the patterns, you get your gun shoot straight. Uh, it's on you on the ducks, but... Your gun absolutely loves this load. So we offer these kind of services, and that's uh, it's been a big hit. You know, we got in with Benelli Performance Shop there. We we started that back, um, gosh dang, it was 16, 17 years ago. Um, I did that by getting in a fight with them guys. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good Hell way to start. I told them I think I had like uh, 200, well, I'll tell you what I did. I had $248 in my pocket, and I told them uh, – they told me that if I went out and bought a couple of these Benelli's and I did this work and sold them, that I can't do that. I said, what do you mean I can't do it? If I go down here and I buy these guns from a store and I do this work, I can't do it. He goes, no, you cannot. I said, well, you stand back and watch. 
<laughs> Being a real tough guy, you know, I was all great, except for the problem is uh, I had $248 in my pocket. Um, hell, I couldn't even uh, barely spell Benelli, let alone buy one, you know. <laughs> so uh, as that went on, um, it ended up, I went to the National Wild Turkey Federation Convention in Nashville the following year, and I had one of these all set up that I bought and did all the work to. And the guy comes by and he goes, hey, uh, can you do this work for us? And I said, well, us. I mean, they're just one of you, but uh, sure. Uh, he goes, I said, who's us? And he goes, Benelli USA. And I and I did. And it was like, of course, I'm just the old hillbilly redneck. And I'm like, you're the, uh, how are you? <laughs> you know, and it, it out good because, uh, he's no longer with Benelli, but it was really a good gig there at the time. And we started doing lots of guns, and, and uh, Benelli, Benelli's always been super great on helping us build the future, you know what I mean? And, and it's like um, we really like being able to take these guns and do do different things with them, which we do things to all guns. But, you know, that was the deal that we got to fight, so we, we were partnered with Benelli, who's always been great. But we do the exact same work to, like, Berettas. We can do them, you know, some of the work, like on uh, cocking handles and stuff like that, you know, the mechanisms are different, so we can't do them to Brownings and Winchesters or some of those type guns, but we still do forcing cone work, porting, trying to get this right, build the choke tubes, go out and do pattern testing, uh, Cerakoting, dipping, and all that kind of stuff. We do all of that, and uh, so it's, you know, it, it, it's, been a, it's been a heck of a ride, and uh, I do know that the future with some of the guns that are coming out not this year, but in 2025, we do have a little incentive, uh, or we, we kind of know it not, I don't, it's not incentive, but we actually see what the future's coming, and the future's changing, and um, God ain't it. But uh, um, it, the, the futures went uh, a little different, so there's going to be some new products, some, some new ideas coming from these companies, and... Um, it, there's going to be another huge change in the way shotguns and everything else are in the next year or two. When we build these hunting guns and these chokes and this stuff, we actually have a passion to go out and make them shoot, try to get them to where we're getting the best out of them. We're trying to find best loads, the best that. Because when you go out and you spend all the time and effort to go out here to duck hunt and stuff, and we all know that's a high-dollar game, um, shoot it and kill it you know it's not don't wound it let the eagles come in or the dogs have to chase it for two miles don't play the game just uh you know if if i was a duck and i was flying through uh, the state of california there and you two were sitting there shooting at me um kill me or miss me don't wound yeah. me let me come here and let an eagle start tearing my guts out you know so that, that's kind of what we do it's kind of short and simple but uh I, that's who we are, I guess. So, yeah. so my question is, you know, if you have somebody send you a gun and you say, "Hey, this gun, you know, patterns best with this choke in in this shotgun load," in California, we have obviously a hard time getting the same ammo consistently because of the restrictions that we have here. So, most of the guys I hunt with are, I'm shooting whatever I can get. How much is a different shell. Say you're shooting a Kent fast steel versus a heavy metal. How much can you get variations in your shot pattern when you switch shells? Um, it it is a bunch. I mean, actually, um, you know, it's one of those things that a lot of times you do get what you pay for, but a lot of times you don't get what you pay for. 
And so it, it's kind of a double-edged sword on that. But um, in reality, for you know, and, and we've told this uh, forever, you know, we see a lot of, um, and I know I'm, I'm about to hurt some people's feelings and they're all going to start cussing me and everything else, but um, we don't BS about it. You know, and I, I had a guy the other day and I said, you know, the thing about it is, uh, let's see, we pattern guns for a living. You know, and I mean, that's that's just it. Yeah. So there's no reason why I should lie to you about blah, blah, blah. And and I told a guy, and, and it really worked out good because I was hunting with this guy for three days, and he'd come in, and, and I won't mention what he was shooting because it was horrible. It, it was like, quit shooting that load. It is terrible. I said, when we put him on the paper, we shoot, we see the inconsistencies of this load. It's... Um, it's nowhere, shape, or form what you need. But I, I said, just get rid of it. Um, and, I, and he was a tightwad. I get it. You know, uh, you can go to federal, for example. We do a lot of stuff with federal, and they have a custom shop, and they build a Rob Roberts signature load on that. Um, oh, my God, it's poison. It is abs- I mean, it's one of those things, even when you don't have ducks, you ought to be able to shoot an air and one ought to fall, it, you know, because it's so t- – and, and I told him, I said, but I deal with guys that, you know, we hunt a ton of. And so when you go in and you use some of these cheaper loads, you know, like a uh, lot of trims, and, and, and here's a trim, for example, and like I said, I'll get picked on about that or hated on, but you'll see like a lot of people that went to bismuth again. You know, 15, 20 years ago, it was a big bismuth craze, and then they went off bismuth. And, but at the end of the day, you're having to pay for bismuth. Yeah. Bismuth is one of those things that uh, it's not cheap. It's not because they're breaking it off in you. It's just, it, is it good stuff? Dang right, it's good. It's very good stuff. Um, TSS. TSS is the most poisonous thing that they'd come out with for a shot chill. But... Do you really want to pay that if you're a guy that's going to duck hunt every day or every opportunity that you got to go? I'm getting old. I don't go every day, but um, it's like we got ducks. Well, guess who's there? I mean, it's like okay, I'm, you know, I didn't. I, I don't go to bed. We got ducks, but the um, the the kicker to it is there are cheaper brands, and when you do the work that we do to these guns, what we like to look at is the fact is. If you'll do this, 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 even your less expensive shells are going to work. You know, um, I'm gonna pick on you know because like I said, we're we're good with black cloud, so or, or black cloud with federal. So I'm gonna pick on them. Um, if you go out and you shoot the we call it blue box, um, but yeah. the speed mm-hmm. shot yep. federal, yep. Um, you take that load in a three inch shell. Shooting 12 gauge now, but if you take that in a three inch shell and you're shooting an ounce and a quarter, even the ounce and eight shoots patterns well, but you go out and you shoot that in an ounce and quarter load. Um, and what I, you know, now here is an Arkansas click. I shoot twos. I, I shoot twos like everything. I don't care if it's a goose, a Guilty. moose. Or, yeah, <laughs> I do the same thing. Yeah. And and I'm, I like twos. And so I'm going to go out there and, um, I have no problem if I reach in and all I've got available to me is uh, speed shot, three inch twos. Uh, I like ounce and quarter better than ounce and eight, just a uh, speed factor because, uh, you know, and what's really crazy is sometimes the slower speed factor 
put you back into everything you ever shot. If you dove hunt, if you went and shot sporting clays or skeet or whatever, you're always around that 1250 to 1300 feet, 1200 to 1300 feet a second. That's all you've ever shot your entire life. Now you're going to go duck hunt and you're going to jump it up to 1550, 1600 feet a second. Well, you know, it's one thing you shoot and you say, well, I'm not sure I was either in front of it, behind it, over it or under it, you know, but I know I didn't kill it. But, um, the, um, uh, speed shock is a very consistent cheap load. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I shoot a lot of black cloud myself just because it comes in. I really, I have shot the business. I have shot TSS. I've shot all these different loads, uh, different companies that, that put stuff out there. Um, Hey man, they shoot great. They, they do, but you don't, you know, it, it depends on where you're at. You know, while. I've dealt with guys that say, look, I get to, um, I go on one of these paid hunts. Um, I get to hunt twice a year and I want the best available and they, you know, money's not an object. Well, Hey, grab a hold of your TSS, get your, get out there and just go to whacking. And, uh, but, uh, for your everyday guys that do hunt a lot that goes in, you know, uh, they're already, you know, serious duck hunters around here, they always said, well, how many times have you been married and how many times you went through bankruptcy court so we can figure out whether you're serious on duck hunt or not? Uh, <laughs> it's like, well, I've married four times. I had, uh, I've been through bankruptcy. Oh, you're a, you know, you are a duck hunter. Uh, uh, kind of crazy. Uh, that was not me personally, by the way. I've been happily married now going on. This will be my 42nd year. That woman has had nothing but sheer bliss. Yeah, um, <laughs> she'd tell you different. <laughs> um, but uh, but no, that that's kind of the thing. Ammo is important, but a lot of times don't just go. Well, that's the cheapest. You know, if you're talking a dollar a box here, and you can get something that is consistent, uh, shoot the consistent loads. At least you know where you're at. And um, you know, the steel shot part of it has gotten so much better. You know, heavy shots done the same thing. They've done, their loads have become better as this is going. You know, and you got a lot of guys, uh, we see it when it when it turns over even into the turkey side that everybody now is shooting four tens and all that. Yeah. I'm anti. Yeah, four tens, you know, I'm from Arkansas. Four ten is what you use to shoot snakes and squirrels. Uh other than that, and that's just because you're playing with squirrels. Um, um, 28 gauge is great. Sub gauges are, are, are great for if you're in a situation, but, um, I'm still, I, we, we're in the overkill business and that's, that's what we want to 20 gauge with the ammo and everything that the 20 gauges have come out with. Um, man, it's super. I mean, yeah. Yeah, there's so many different avenues on 20 gauge stuff. It's super, but you know, and I, and I've got buddies that are like, Hey, I only shoot a 20 gauge. Well, if it's if it's down uh, below freezing temperatures and I'm in a rice field and which, you know, Arkansas and California, where I'm northern California up there where I was hunting and stuff like that was kind of the same type that, that looked like the same ground I'm hunting, you know. And so you, you get in a rice field, you got a lot of wind blowing, you got really super cold temperatures. I'm not going to come out here and throwing rocks at them. I want to come out here. It's going to be a 12 gauge and it is going to be uh something that is you know it's going to work now um your ammo as far as shooting three and a half so i'm sure you guys are around a lot of the guys shooting three and a half um we we've taken the three and i i don't 
personally, I don't think there's any reason you need a three-and-a-half-inch shelling enzyme. Uh, and it used to be on turkeys, um, which I kill lots of turkeys, uh, and I travel lots of states. I don't want you to think I'm a poacher. Uh, but um, <laughs> travel lots of states, and, and on that, I you know, I shoot 20-gauge only now on turkeys, and, and it's because uh, I can shoot them farther with a TSS, which a lot of people are like, uh, that's 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 bogus. That's a lie. No, it's not a lie. Well, you know, we've taken TSS on the turkey side. We we run them out targets at seventy five yards. Put on big screens, big targets, big everything. We shot the three and a half inch shell out of a twelve, three inch twelve, twenty gauge three inch, and what we found was the twenty gauge would drop six to eight inches. Now using the TSS loads now. Uh, they would drop like six to eight inches from point A and point of impact. The um, the 12 gauge stuff on three inch was dropping 12, 15 inches. The three and a half inch uh, was dropping 18 to 24. Sometimes wouldn't even hit the paper out there at 75 yards. And so, and the recoil was huge on it, you know. And so that took us back into the waterfowl world again. And it's like, okay, let's let's. Let's run these three and a half inch shells against apples to apples. Let's do 10 shot clips. We run them through our computer stuff and we're like, all right, we're going to run this. Here's a pattern. You know, even though we got the computers, we're actually walking up there, looking at it, putting eyes on. And, um, uh, for example, um, like I said, we, we've done a lot with federal, so I, I'm picking good and bad with them. And so we go out there with uh, black cloud and, uh, what we were finding is like a three-inch black cloud um, tunes at 40 yards, and we were shooting into the paper, into the computer, into the box, doing all that, getting exact exact pellet counts and everything like that. We would shoot 10 shots, and then we'd go to the three-and-a-half-inch black cloud twos, and same choke, same gun, same everything, do the same thing. And pretty much, um, I think... Uh, 100% of the time, or I, I know it's never 100%, but let's say 99% of the time, um, our 10-inch circles, which is your smaller core, um, always had more pellets in the 3-inch shell compared to the 3.5. Oh, wow. And then when we shot the, um, the in a 20-inch type circle, which I think 20, 24-inch is what I want to see on shooting ducks. You know, people say, well, we went out there and we shot, we had X amount of pellets in the 3-inch circle. That does you absolutely no good. Three inch circle. Hey, you're you've got a distorted pattern, and it's great if your target's not moving and you hit the target. You know, first off, shotguns don't shoot straight most of the time, so get you a twenty twenty four inch pattern, and if they stick their heads or anything inside that, you kill. And um, so uh, that, that that's one of the things that we learned with that was the ten and twenty inch core patterns on the three inch shells. We're always outperforming the three and a half, even though you'll have more pellets as a whole out there in a 30 or larger. Um, I mean, if, if you act, you know, you're not a good shot, you kind of suck in general, and you really like getting beat up. You know, I've been killing a lot of them. Shoot them, bang them, get off, show your bruises. Kill any ducks? No, but look at this. You yeah. know I, mean? I, got, I got dislocated shoulder, my collarbone's broken. With, with all... With all the patterning analysis that you guys have done, are do you guys see any type of um, pattern between manufacturers like a Winchester Benelli 
versus a specific brand of ammo that tends to work best with that firearm or that brand? What we normally see, honestly, is that every one of these of your bigger, let's say Winchester, Apex, um, Migra, um, Remington, Heavy, Federal, all of them, they've all got a good line of shells. Mm -hmm. they, they actually do. If you're... Uh, you know, if you turn around and say, look, um, I know these guys at Migra, they're really great. Uh, which one? Well, hey, go out there and shoot that two-by-four load they got. It shoots very consistent. It's a very good load, blah, blah, blah. If um, if you turn around, uh, I'm going to tell you, I, I, we did get the opportunity to shoot some of the new Remington stuff that's coming out for next year. Um, Remington's got a couple in it. Uh, they brought in, there was four different loads, and they, they brought in to run through our machines and stuff. You know, and they're an Arkansas company. They, they come up, and and uh, it, it was really good. They We got to visit back and forth, and um, and and they brought these loads up, and they said, here's uh, these are all prototypes we want to test out. And I told them going into it, I said, I'm anxious to see that. Um, it's a duplex, which I never really was a guy with duplex-type loads. Uh, TSS changed a little bit of that, but most of the duplex, they're only going to do what your biggest one's going to do type thing, you know. But they did have a, um, a BB-2 that intrigued me. I said, well, BB-2 load, um, they had a 2x4, 2x6, BB-4s or something like that. They, they had four or five different loads. There was actually four loads. And I said, well, the BB-2 load, really intrigues me I'd, I, i'm anxious to see what this thing shoots like and uh man it's a house fire now you couldn't get it this year but next year uh, remington's coming out with that and it's a, a bb2 load and so uh the moral of what you asked before i'm going is is yes all these guys have um these you know all these bigger companies we'll say but they always have good loads, and then there's some bad that they're having to take care of. Joe Blow over here wants those. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, like I said, I'm, I'm a guy that'll shoot straight twos, and uh, it don't matter if I'm shooting teal. I, I'm going after him with, with twos. When you're referring to these quote-unquote bad loads, is that, you know, out of anybody's gun, no matter what, they're probably just not going to pattern well, like just the lower quality will say – is like you said, you got you get what you pay for, or will some of those lower end loads still pattern well, just not as as consistently? Yeah, I would like to. I would actually like to give you a bona fide on that, but like I said, I don't. You know, I, I have trouble pissing people off anyway. <laughs> but but at the same point, uh, I have had consistencies of pattern. You know, we had some boys. You know, of course. You know, one thing they do here in Arkansas is uh, every town has somebody that builds a boat or a duck call. And um, we did have a guy here, these guys that build duck calls, and they're, you would know them if I say them, so I'm not, I'm not getting into all that. Um, they were in, and they were sponsored by a big company there, and they were shooting their lower-end uh, ammo. And we went out, and I said, man, this is, uh, this is not good. I mean, if you're going to go to this trouble to get your gun to work, at least, you know, for the same price, you could buy these guys over here. And I don't really like naming those because I'm not here to badmouth somebody because once you start badmouthing somebody, it looks like you have something against them. And I don't. I have nothing against these guys. But their, um, their load and uh, was 
is horrible. I mean, one time, you know, and I told guys, I said, here's what you do. Okay, you go hunting in the morning, you grab a box of that ammo, you go out there and you kill your limit, just boom, 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 you're, you're on cloud nine, you come out, you know, you're the killer, you know, <laughs> you're awesome. Uh, tomorrow you go and you notice that, uh, man, you're struggling. Uh, you're not hitting as much. Well, boy, I'm off. You know, I'm off today. I, it, I'm not doing what I, you know, man, I don't know what I was doing, but I was off. Well, then they come next day and they can't shoot each other in the blind. And they're <laughs> like, uh, this sucks. Well, something's happened to my shotgun. My choke tubes suck. Um, blah, blah, blah. It's not the case. I mean, that steel didn't actually change in any of your gun or your choke or whatever. Um, your ammo was inconsistent. And it was so, um, we were noticing, and we showed these guys, and there was like six or seven of them. They were doing videos and everything else, and they were like, oh, my God, this is terrible. And I said, that's what I'm trying to tell you. If you'll swatch, you know, um, if you'll swap, move up, um, go to the next one. Um, um, like I said, that was, that was a big major company. They were shooting a bunch of their cheap, cheap, dirt cheap loads. And you move up to their better loads, you're going to see that uh, now you're killing things because now you're putting more of a, you're getting patterns that are the same every time. And then, you know, I mean, you still got to shoot, but get your gun to shoot where it's supposed to, get the patterns where they're supposed to be, and shoot something that is consistent. You do not have to pay $150 a box for shells to make them do it. Um, I told Jed earlier, that's, Probably my the the cheap shell out there that I think actually performs, and I've shot a million of them, is uh, like that Federal Blue Box. I mean that that is a very consistent low end compared to some of the others. Now as you move up, uh, you're going to find these other companies. Whether you're shooting Black Cloud or you're shooting Dry Locks or you're shooting that Miger or that new Remington two or man, BB twos or 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 some of your you know, your, your heavy shot, your heavy metal, um, you're going to see that that stuff, certain guns really like it, and those particular loads are going to be consistent. So if you get a consistent load, your gun shooting good, and your gun, then, then put them together. You know, your gun shoots good, and you got a consistent load, they still may not be where you're at, but when you find the consistent load and the, and the gun shooting good, and, and they do match, then you quit worrying about it. Now, now you go back to worrying about, hey, do we have ducks? Where are they at? What are they doing? Where are they coming? Where, you know, hey, did, did I feed my dog? Did uh, <laughs> my boat? <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, well, no, by the end of season, none of those things work. The dogs usually fed, but uh, other than that, everything else has already turned to crap. Yeah, but we get that a lot where people are shooting multiple different boxes of shells in the same hunt and then, you know, are worried about why can't they hit anything. Oh. And and we always try to say, find find the ammo, whatever it may be, that, that patterns and you're confident in and just stick with that. Yeah, and we, we deal with like a lot of brand, brand new hunters and I'll have people show up. This might be their first or second hunt and they go, well, I have, you know, a modified choke in should i bring out my full choke to switch through halfway through the hunt and then should i switch back this and that i'm like no 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 no. this isn't how we do this like like jeff was saying it's like find what works for you and we're obviously a lot less specific and not gonna we can't pattern before they go out but um 
I mean, just our basis is find what works for you and stick with that. Do, you know, don't go changing from 1,500 feet per second to 1,350 feet per second and then throw in a different choke and expect you're going to be on. You, you know, and you're, with what you just said right there, I actually did this. I would go, I talked in one year, I said, here's what I'm going to do. Every time that I, you know, every morning, I'm going to grab a different box of ammo. I'm going to go out, I'm going to play around, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And uh, I got to where I couldn't shot a duck if it was on the water. And, and <laughs> water you know? It was, um, like I said, when you're running those different speeds, you're way above, and pretty soon you start guessing yourself. I'm shooting in front of it, I'm shooting behind yeah. it. Yeah, it's a huge problem, especially with the new hunters that are already in their head. Yeah, it... it, it, it uh, you know, I mean, it goes back to the old, old uh, butt, bird, beak, boom. You know, I mean, if, if most of the time, if they'll go back to those four Bs there, it, it, it kind of works. Um, speed come into a play. Um, like I said, I'm not going to pick on any companies, but they, when they really start coming out with speed years ago, people started noticing that uh, they were killing more. Well, they were killing more because they really were not good shots. You know, they were using the speed thinking, now all I got to do is shoot at them. Well, you guys know, if you're out here shooting at geese, geese don't look like they're even moving. So most of the time, you do get to shooting straight at them, and uh, mm-hmm. you're not hitting them. <laughs> you know, I yeah. mean, they're flying off. Uh, geese are tough on that because uh, because of that. Um, but if you stay around the same speeds, you know, I, I like stuff around that 1450. I do like it to be a little hotter than what you normally use. It'll help you out on good days. Um, but uh, uh, get what's consistent. Once you once you figure out that you go year from year to year and you've been using, you know, I've used uh, uh, whatever, you, you know, pick one. And uh, I've, I've been using that heavy metal for in twos for five years. Well, don't change it. Keep staying with it. Just see what you can do to make. Now, once you swap guns, you might want to try it in that gun and see that whether or not the gun really likes it or not. But mm-hmm. most of the time it will. Because once you get on good, consistent loads, they do shoot through whether you're shooting a Browning with a big bore or a Benelli with a small bore. And I, I do know a lot of that's changing. Your bore diameters are going to come into play here before long on these different guns. And uh, uh, there, there's good and bad in it also. Are you, are you talking about that the coning that you guys do, like that service, that's going to change with the gun that you're buying, or is the actual diameter of the actual muzzle or bore going to change? Yeah, well, like the forcing cone work that we do, we do a lot, you know, your Berettas, your Benelli's, uh, your European-style guns, Kragoffs, Parazzi, even, you know, even your high-end guns, those have the forcing cones in them. Uh, the forcing cone, basically, if you'll look down the inside of the barrel, you look down the tube, it looks like an O-ring in there, which is not what it is, but that's that's the appearance of it, okay? Okay. Um, what we go in, we, we do our own type reamers. We don't just call Brownells or one of them and get, hey, they got force, you know, we can do it ourselves like some of these ammo companies did here a while back. But don't get me started on it. But <laughs> it's one of those things that you go in, we build them towards the barrel. You got to line them with the boards. You got to do everything so that you're not changing the point of impact. You're not changing anything else. So what it does is basically, if, if you can see this, you you've got this in your barrel, and basically we're tapering it back in. So what happens by doing this? 
you're taking a little of the back pressure off the shell, off your shoulder, so you notice a felt recoil difference on your shoulder. Okay. Plus, pushing it out forward, and there's no distortion on these shells. We don't have to have force and cones because we live here in the U.S., and we're, we're using um, plastic wads and all that. On your European market, a lot of times, you're using still using paper and cardboard and stuff like that as the wads, and that's what it was developed for was so to do that. But you're also seeing a lot of American-made guns, like your Brownings and um, Remingtons and stuff like that are starting to come out where the forcing cones are being built, or the, the barrels are being built without forcing cone in it. You know, I mean, so that's uh, that's what you're seeing already, which tells you, you know, we've had people say, well, why do you take them out? That's stupid. Well, actually, it's not too stupid, or people like Browning them would uh, still be putting it on their guns, you know? And uh, and so uh, that, that that's part of the play. Uh, bore diameters are big. You know, the bigger the bore diameter, uh, the shorter the shot strength. Um, duck guys prefer, you know, and that's Benelli's always had really small bores, which makes your shot string longer. So when you go boom in the air, all these pellets are out there, okay? So uh, for me to sit here and say, well, this one's four foot long, this, you know, no, I can't do that. But um, if you've got a long shot string and you're shooting from the duck, well, that tail end of it might be what's killing your duck. Skeet shooters, for example, like the long shot string. Trap shooters, on the other, liked a shorter one. So they went with bigger board guns, which a bigger board gun, what it does, it puts, it shortens that shot string, so you got more pellets on impact. And so, um, to kind of put it in a perspective where you take, um, like an 835 Mossberg, you know, they're, they're, that's a cheaper version gun, I'm not yeah. not they can all get, you know, everybody get mad at me. I don't care. I'm too old. Get mad at me. But, uh, okay, you take that. That's a 10-gauge barrel, bore diameter-wise. You know, it's around 776, you know. And, and you put a 10-gauge barrel on a 12-gauge gun. So what happens is you're shortening that shot string. So for turkeys, it's been great because turkey hunters are the world's worst to try to teach something to. Because, okay, here's a turkey's head. When it's head's up. You go boom, um, everything turned into a big contest, and I, I'll blame the NWTF for a lot of that. They had their silhouette shoot, and it was like, well, those guys are world champ. It's like, of what? Of uh, <laughs> We never went. They were like, why didn't you go? And it's like, because I think it's stupid. Uh, <laughs> you're trying to get all the pellets in a three-inch circle. Well, I don't want my shotgun. I, you know, if I'm going to do that, Hell, I'm gonna bypass that and shoot it with a rifle, but yeah. it's that's distortion. You know, I want that even. If he sticks his head in a 15 inch circle, he's toast. But all right, so here's your turkey, and uh, let's say us three here. One, you know, I'm shooting. I only get 100 pellets in a 10 inch. You're getting 20 or uh, 200 pellets in a 10 inch, and he's getting 300 pellets in a 10 inch. Whoop de do because this turkey sticks his head up. You go boom. The first pellets hit, the head falls over, all the rest of the pellets go over the top of the dang turkey. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, I don't care how many pellets you got in here, if you're sitting here counting pellets, uh, enjoy that. And I mean, we deal with folks that spend their thousands of dollars every year to grab their turkey guns to go out and shoot it over and over and over because, well, my buddy had 
13 more pellets in his 10 inch than I did and all that. I'm looking at them and it's like, God dang, dude. I think there's a drug called like lorazepam. You need to put one of them under your tongue, dude. It's not about how many pellets. It's about putting the pattern out there and kill it, okay? Um, the uh, uh, ducks is, is, is similar. You know, you do want that. So what we're finding is downside to these big board guns into the duck world is the fact is we also deal with uh, extreme cold temperatures. And so, you know, one of the things DU a while back asked, uh, I mean, this was several years ago, and they always asked, uh, what is one thing if you give somebody an idea, what would it be to, uh, what advice would you give? And my advice was always bring your ammo that you're going to shoot tomorrow. You know, if you got your shooting bag or your backpack or whatever you carry with you, Bring it in the house. You can leave the gun in the boat. You can leave it in the blind. You can do whatever you want to with your gun. But bring your ammo in and get it at least at those temperatures because, um, you know, temperatures really affect the rifle, but shotguns people don't think about it as that. But if you go in and you got cold temperatures, you're more apt to have that bloop load, and you go, boom, boom. Now you uh, blew out the end of your gun. You blew the choke out. You swelled the barrel. You did this. Uh, the first thing you're going to do is, well, it was the choke tube's fault. It was the gun's fault. It was the ammo fault. When in reality, it's your fault. Uh, get your ammo in there. Keep it, keep it at a good temperature. Um, so what we're seeing and where we're seeing things is, is some of these new guns that are going to be coming out in the near future. Um, I'm, I know I'm saying I, I'm, I'm not. I'm trying to be somewhat politically correct as far as I don't piss off the whole world. Uh, but you're going to see larger bore diameters coming out in some of these guns. And when they start putting these 10-gauge bores on 12-gauge guns, they're going to have a problem if you're not taking care of your ammo because, um, for example, that old Mossberg's been around forever. Uh, I've seen it personally happen to a very close friend of mine's dad who was uh, one of these uh, hillbillies that uh, up here that had absolutely all the money in the world but you'd never know yeah people would feel sorry for him in buying breakfast or something you know what i mean but he like if he wrote two checks for five million it's good but he was a big mossberg 835 guy and he had his turkey loads and the neighbor's cow got on his land the story's just hilarious he's he owned you know like he had one farm up here had 2600 acres of the most beautiful land you ever seen and neighbor's cows was tearing down his corn feeders. He goes in, pulls out the Mossberg with the turkey loads that was in it from springtime. It's middle of winter. He shoots the cows to blow them. And when he does, he goes, boom. And the rib on the gun, it looked like Elmer Fudd. The whole end of it blew out and the rib come back and hit him between the eyes. I, I had a good laugh on it. It was hilarious. But he was like, what happened? Well, here you go. You got a 10 gauge barrel on a 12 gauge gun. You leave this out there in the freezing weather. Uh, all the gases go around the wad system and everything inside the barrel. You shoot a bloop load. Your second one goes in. Now it's got something in the middle of there that, it, mm -hmm. it, you know, it's got something obstructing it. So now it blew up. Barrel hit him in the head. It was awesome. But it didn't kill him. I mean, it, I, I would probably still giggle a little bit if it killed him, even though I like the guy. But <laughs> it's just like, then this is dumb. This, this is dumb. This is something that people ought to know about. And, and I do think this is a problem in the near future with your extremely large board guns and taking care of your ammo. 
Yeah. But I hope that helped. I mean, that was just, I know we went from forcing cones to that big, that big thing there, but that is folks ought to know about. Well, I mean, with, with folks getting into hunting or people that have hunted a long time, I mean, all shotguns come with a number of, of what we call factory chokes. I know when I switched to what we call aftermarket chokes, my um, shooting consistently increased uh, by a lot. But there's still a lot of folks that do use their their factory chokes. Is there a percentage that you're seeing in terms of like going from a, a factory choke to the aftermarket choke? I know you guys have your new Raptor series. Um, you guys had your T series prior to that that you guys uh, make in shop. And can you also talk about you know ported versus unported and kind of the importance of the choke itself and and how it kind of operates and and what it what a shooter is getting from these better chokes. Okay, and, and like I said, I won't. Uh, I won't go. I'm not cutting down anybody else that's in 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 the business. I'll I'll go on what we do, and yeah. so um, there are several companies out there that do care, and they do go into chokes. And there are several companies out there that are just making a cooler looking version of a factory choke. Um, but there are several that do care, right? And so, from our perspective, what we do. Uh, we've tested what we call a parallel section in the choke. And so uh, the best way to explain a parallel section in a choke is if you took an hourglass and you flip it over and the sand goes through that tube and it sprays, okay? If you take that tube and you make it a bigger diameter or longer diameter, what you notice is uh, bigger, you know, we start looking at the sand coming at the bottom. So if you take that tube and you make it a little bit longer, then what happens is you've got, it holds that, that tightness, if you would, longer. So what we do with parallel, we, change, we, we started in on the parallel section, which is something that um, uh, we start from no parallel to clear out to, at one point we, we were even designing a choke that was about this long, that uh, to put it, out to a two and a quarter inch parallel section. And what that means is if you were, um, let me talk turkey choke, but just because of the numbers are easier than a duck choke, okay? If you were dealing with a 660 constriction, um, that parallel section inside that choke would be 660 from either this long out to so long, because we won't see how the patterns change. And we're, we're able to take them out and shoot, boom, 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 boom. And so um, <clears throat> we can get quicker stuff with it. So where we have always found, and uh, I've been in this business uh, for myself and for others or whatever for, you know, longer now, probably uh, 40 plus years, you know. I mean, I, I, I've been around dealing with pattern on guns and stuff, um, uh, you know, good 40 years worth of it. But uh, the... Um, God, I'm old. Um, but <laughs> at, at that same thing, as, as it goes into it, we always found that a one inch to an inch and an eighth parallel, there really wasn't a whole lot of change. But once you went past that inch and an eighth, or once you was under that inch, and I'm talking 12 gauge now, uh, mm -hmm. went in or over, your pattern started changing once again. It, it was like it was holding pattern longer and we were getting better results, so we've always stayed with a one-inch parallel section. Okay, with that said, we went on, and um, like I said, we we 
determined what chokes. You know, we did our triple threat series. We always call it T1, T2, and T3. And people are like, what is this? Well, we try to take that. Um, this was me. This was one of my schemes I come up with way back to the fact is I had been with all your world-class shooters. I had been with your hunters. I had been here and there. And so you would see people go to, let's say, a sporting class shoot, and they walk up. And they look at the target, and that target, they figure it's 35 yards, and you see that guy screwing his choke in, screwing another choke out, and all that, and it's like, come on, shoot, shoot, you know. Um, then you'd see a world-class, this guy that's won the world's championship, or he's a couple, two-time national champion. He walks up here, he looks at the target. He might even be shooting fixed chokes in his barrel, and he goes, boom, and he's breaking the hell out of him. You know what I mean? He's, he's smoking him. He didn't have to do all this back and forth. So we fed off that. So what I did was we started taking these chokes on our triple threat series, and we would take like uh, a browning, a bretta, a banana, <coughs> and we would find out exactly which chokes shot the best out of these guns at these particular distances, uh, especially on duck stuff. And then, I mean, but we would do turkeys with that, but especially on duck stuff where we're seeing different different patterns at different um uh what am i trying to say distances and so um that's where the t1 t2 t3 come in so we didn't call them okay that's a ski or that's a light mod or that's an improved mod none of that we didn't go there we went to actually what constrictions like uh for example our t3 choke in a benelli might be a thirty thousandths constriction and if we turn around and did it into a beretta let's say this has a, a, a bigger bore than the Benelli, well, it might be um, 32 thousandths or whatever. We just never give those. We just say T1, T2, and T3. Um, as the Raptor series come along, we started in, I never liked a ported choke. And the reason why I never liked a ported choke is, you know, you hear lots of, and we, we've done test after test after test, Ported ch chokes take out recoil. Ported chokes do that. That's not true. It is absolutely that. You prove, I'd get somebody prove me that that happens, and, and I'm still going to say you're still lying. It, it does <laughs> what it does. Uh, we've, we've tried it on every test that we could come up with. But what a ported choke does is it is a wad stripper. So uh, going back to the turkey side, and the reason why I do that, the turkey side I go, I like the patterns on the waterfowl side, but I like to go the turkey side for pointy impact issues because the tighter that you make a choke, the more, um, the more the point of impact comes into play. So, you know, and like I said, shotguns don't shoot straight anyway. You kind of got to work till you get it to shoot where you're looking. But, okay, so you take these guns, and what we notice is we, you take a choke that was non-ported, and you would shoot it, and you had exact patterns, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, but they're always consistently hitting the same spot. Now you go to a ported choke, which is going to tug on that wad at some point. And since the ports go around, you know, it's and it is a shotgun, so it's not going to hit. It's not a rifle barrel or anything like that. So you're going to catch a pedal or whatever. You're going to tug on that wad here, there. And so we start noticing that, well, that, that was great if it had been over here, but this time it shot high left, that time it shot a little bit low, and this time over here, we're over to the right now. And it was like, 
No, we're not doing it. We're doing nothing but non-forwarded. Not that it's easier, not it's what we want them to shoot exactly where they're supposed to be, and we want the patterns out of them. Plus, tugging, you know, a little bit of a tug on a ported choke does one thing that is really good. It keeps, it lets your, it just gives enough tug that your shot comes loose from the wad, keeps the wad from blowing through the center of your pattern, especially on close targets. So if, you know, uh, for example, if you've got one and uh, you have a uh, turkey walks in here at 15 yards, you're like, you're going to blow slug the whole thing right through him. The wad and everything's going right into it. And, um, and if you're going to kill him, body shoot him, quit trying to be a hero and blow the head off, just blow him right, you know, wacky. But um, so I got on one of these schemes. I was killing gators. I had a 12 and a half hour drive. I'm out in South Carolina killing things, and I'm I'm on my way back. And, and my buddy out there, he says, why don't you, uh, you know, I was in, like our big truck, it's got turkey feet all over it and ducks and whatever, you know, it's just like a neon sign. Um, well, you, I, I was coming back and he said, you know, you don't have gators. He said, I, you kill all these gators. So my mind starts thinking on, well, this might be the time to come up with our ported choke tube. I'm going to come in and put like gator bites into them. We'll use a gator, you know, I've got all this. I've got too much time on my hands and I'm sitting here out here. Uh, middle of all this and um, so we come back and I started trying to come up with a new choke that was ported even though I'm against porting it's like public likes it let's build one so we started in on this and we did I spent we spent three months uh, building different chokes and and once again to start off with all the parallel sections all these different things that we do to them and then I went out and it was like uh, all right let's port them you know teardrops, elliptical, straight lines, jagged lines, this, that. We All these different things, which was, you know, my, my first identity was make it look like a gator grabbed a hold of the gun and ripped it, you know. And um, what we found is we would take a choke, we would shoot it in the gun, it shot great. Then we'd come in and we'd port it, and it went to crap. And then we'd go do another one. We'd bring it in, it went to crap. We were losing like 20 to 30 pellets out of the core every time we ported the choke. Wow. And that's when I come in. I said, all right, guys, look, uh, we're not going to spend this kind of time and effort to build a product that's not as good as what we're already building. I mean, that's just that's in, insane. I mean, I get it. If, if it's all about money, that's what you do. But I'm financially embarrassed, and I wouldn't have it any other way. So... Um, <laughs> We, we turned in and said, all right, we want to get this, dress this up to where it looks cool. And so uh, that's when we come in with the Raptor. I had Raper. We, we kind of put the R's, the R, if you would, into in the line. And so that's that's kind of where we went with it. And so uh, Raptor kept coming in because we could actually use Raptor with the two R's, which is our logo type thing. And a Raptor kills everything, you know, he'll hawks, eagles, uh, because oh, you're a big Jurassic Park fan, and all that. That's that. That's who's killing all the ducks. <laughs> anyway, I mean, they're in Arkansas, they kill more than we do. Um, but so that that gave it a look. And as we went on with this, what we noticed is, and I call it a tula cut. I think I made that up. I've had probably one of them times. It's like uh, where in the world did that word come from? Well, it's uh, some of this uh, hillbilly uh, vocabulary. We'll call it. 
but it was a, a tula cut. So what I did is to come in and it's like, um, all right, I want to put a cut here. I want to do this. Because what I'd learned over the years that putting a tug inside that choke tube would actually make your cores more solid. And so we tried it from knurling some of the insides, putting wad strippers, doing this, that. And I've never been a fan of wad strippers because that normally causes you to blow up a gun in cold conditions. But if there's something to tug on this wad just a, you know, just a little bit to get it out there, your actual your cores become stouter. <clears throat> and so what, what we ended up was uh, we found the spot. And like I said, I had an engineer in here with us at Workforce, that, uh, and he was very patient listening to everything I'm coming up with. Um, you know, a lot of guys that get into gunsmithing are because they are machinists. Well, I'm not. I was I was the driver. You know, I could, it's kind of like in the days of thunder. He said, I can't tell you what I'm telling you. All I know is I need this, this, this. You know, so he takes us to the mechanic and tells him, I need this, this, this. That's what I did with our engineer here. And it's like, I need this. Uh, let's try it. Let's move it to here. Let's move it to there. I need something that comes in. So we played with different cuts and everything else. So what you'll notice is on these Raptor chokes, there's just a little, there's a cut inside this thing. And it worked out perfect by the time we got done because our core of our patterns, a lot of guys that's been out there and said, hey, look, you know, I've, I've been shooting a Benelli with a T3 choke. And you're telling me now, I, I tried your Raptor series, and I'm missing things, but it's old tight. The constrictions are still the same, but the cores. We found out how to get the cores. So your serious guys that are killing, especially your guides, your outfitters, stuff like that, uh, they can still go super tight on the Raptor series. But for Joe Blow, we're actually backing it up a number, if you would, because that's that's what it is. So we're, we tried to make uh, – the pattern hold longer, you know, whatever that pattern is, we try to get that pattern to hold as long as it'll go. And that, and that's gotcha. uh, that's what we've done with our chokes. So, there, like I said, you, your, your question was on some of these other companies. Um, I don't know what all they do, and I know a lot of it's all about, uh, you know, how much – how much marketing, how much money, and, uh, you know, that type of stuff, which, you know, you got to have money to pay the bills. But we have never – we've never crossed into that, as we will. We're, we're, we're moving to where we're going to start putting our chokes more into, into places uh, where we never pushed it before. So mm -hmm. we've got a deal going right now that uh, probably by, by the end of the year, next year, you're going to start seeing them in more of your retail outlets, which uh, – we just didn't worry about it. We we always pushed our gun service and everything else we did as our primary because everybody and their brother made chokes. Um, well, we're finding out the chokes do work, and I'm not trying to sit here and be a blowhard. I hope, I hope you don't <laughs> take me as that. Uh, but uh, they do work, and uh, we need them in the store, so there they go. That way I can die peaceful. So my, my partner over here, Carson, he's got a uh... – choke that's stuck in his gun no that's, not a not a choke that's stuck my so where we hunt or where i've hunted a lot in the susun marsh is very brackish and lots of salt and maybe in my younger days i may have not cleaned it as much as i should have and the barrel is completely rusted into the basically stock of the gun where i can't separate it to get to the inner workings are you guys able to separate those because I can't drop my trigger carriage at all. I can't get anything out at this point. What uh, what gun is it? 
A Breda A400. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, for the most part, yes. And the reason why I say we can get the chokes out of all of them, what we like to do is we got them. I'm just trying to make sure that we have the tooling to come back in and fix it. What we do with that is uh, when a gun becomes, you know, for the most part, um, here I'll pick on somebody, and I don't mean this in negative, but, you know, when Browning come out with that Invector DS system, they put a little ring at the bottom that's supposed to hold that big, long choke from moving around, but in reality, it held water. So if a lot of guys don't, you know, you, you should always take your choke in and out once or twice a year. If nothing else, just let the water out. Wipe it off. It don't matter if it's on your shirt, stick it back in there. But if you notice the choke starting to swell a little bit, which regardless of whoever, um, apologize for that. I keep getting texts while I'm sitting there doing it. Um, um, what what you find is, like on that particular uh, Invector DS system, it was holding water in there, which was causing it to rust. So if they'd come in and out, it would go. But in in general, a lot you're shooting lots of steel, lots of heavy, lots of TSS, a lot of that stuff through your waterfowl gun. You need to check those chokes from time to time because they'll start to swell. If a guy calls us and says, "Hey, mine's getting tight," throw it here, send it to us. We'll send you a new choke. That's the way we look at it. Yeah. So so my my choke my choke isn't the problem for me. My the 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 problem where I lie in is that the barrel down to where it connects into the receiver you know if you take the forearm off and then you're supposed to be able to slide your barrel out of your receiver to get to your trigger mechanism Uh uh-huh the barrel is uh rusted into the receiver at the connection point that is that is the issue and i i luckily i Every time I pull the trigger, it goes boom, unless I don't have a shell in. But at some point, I'd like to be able to get in there and clean it. Um, yeah. Are you? Have you guys seen that before? Are you guys able to fix oh, yeah. something we, like that? We see a lot of yeah. We see a lot of that stuff. Um, I'd say first off, send it to us. We'll take care of this for you. We'll we'll get this all loose. Uh, there's a penetrating type oil like Croil, K R O I L, for folks that. Can't understand my southern English. Um, <laughs> but the coil will go in, it'll penetrate, it'll take some of that loose. Um, rubber mallets come involved. There's there's a few things to get it off, to get it cleaned up, you know, and steel wool and all that to clean it up. Um, that's some way I'm sure we, we can get that handled for you. The, the other side to it is getting back to the choke tubes being stuck. Okay, so regardless of why it's stuck, um, what we do on certain models, which that's something we'll have the tooling for, is we we actually, it took, uh, I'm, I'm telling you, it took me 30 years to figure out how to do it and do it right. Um, we will actually set this barrel up in a mill. We will come down and cut that choke tube out of it uh, without having to, you know, um, a lot of people, well, I'll just cut off the barrel and re-thread it. Well, you can't because if you'll notice all your new guns, they the if you run your finger down the barrel, when you get out towards the choke tube, it starts swelling. There's a swell. So your factories are going to swell the end of the chokes so the outside diameter is wider, okay? Uh, the reason for it is if you've got a 30-inch barrel and you and this happens, you say, well, I'll just cut it off to a 28-inch, 27-and-a-half, whatever it is, wherever the rib's at, cut it off, put a choke back in it. Well, once you cut it off, the outside diameters of the barrel are not wide enough to take that thread design. And it's not, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to have certain ODs 
because that way our choke, his choke, their choke, factory choke, they'll all fit. You don't just put threads in them, okay? So um, what we did was we come up with a way to try to save people from spending these eight, $900 barrels, which that's what the factory wants you to do is you want to sort a barrel? Well, hell, hell here's 800 bucks, we'll sell you another one. What we, what we did is we've got it set up where we will actually come in and, uh, for not a better term, we're going to whittle this choke tube out of it, and then we're going to come back in and we're going to run the taps back through it to put it back to, you know, let's crowd plus, or I think you were talking about Optima HP there. We're going to run through, get them threads right, and now here you go. I, now here's your new choke. This new choke works fine, whether it's ours, his, or whoever. And so I did save you a bunch of money. Um, from having to buy a barrel and do it. So yes, that is. Now, every once in a while, somebody will have something that's way off the wall. It's been in there forever. Uh, what happens is a lot of people will try to get that choke tube out. They'll stick a choke tube wrench and big bar or heat it and stuff. And what ends up happening is <clears throat> quickly they'll turn it and it'll gold. And once it golds in, you're done. It's screwed. <laughs> and so that's... Uh, Yes, to, to answer your question, yes. And, and that's one thing we are one of the few that can do that. Yeah, you, you might have my gun in a few weeks because it is after the season's over and it hasn't been cleaned in a while. Well, I have a browning. It makes sense now how you explained it with the browning choke at an A5. Everything was fine. I was cleaning it and literally, I don't know what happened, but same deal, seized in there and it's still in there. I don't shoot the gun anymore, but... Um, it makes sense with how you're talking about it, uh, holding water at the bottom of it. Rob, we appreciate you coming out. Yeah, yeah. appreciate it, man. Well, uh, good luck with everything, and thank you so much for uh, joining on us uh, for Saber for the Blind podcast. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Save It for the Blind podcast. You can find our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.